Good afternoon and welcome to the Farfetch Q2 2023 results conference call. My name is Luke and I'll be your conference operator today. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. Thank you. I'd now like to turn the call over to Alice Ryder, VP of Investor Relations. Ms. Ryder, you may begin your conference. Hello and welcome to Farfetch's second quarter 2023 conference call. Today's update will include prepared remarks from Jose Nevis, our Founder, Chairman, and Chief Executive Officer, Elliot Jordan, our Chief Financial Officer, and Stephanie Fair, our Group President and Chair of NGG. Jose and Elliot will also be available to take questions following the remarks. Please note that unless otherwise stated, all comparisons on this call will be on a year-over-year basis. During today's call, we will also be displaying a slide presentation throughout our prepared remarks which can be accessed as part of the live webcast at farfetchinvestors.com. Following the call, the presentation will also be uploaded to the site. Before we begin, we would like to remind you that our discussions today will include forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those indicated in the forward-looking statements, and forward-looking statements made today speak only to our expectations as of today. We undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise them. For a discussion of some of the important risk factors that could cause actual results to differ, please see the risk factors section of our Form 20F filed with the SEC on March 8, 2023. In addition, we will refer to certain financial measures not reported in accordance with IFRS on this call. You can find reconciliations of these non-IFRS financial measures to the IFRS financial measures in our earnings materials, which are available on our website at farfetchinvestors.com. And now, I'd like to turn the call over to Jose. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. I am delighted to be taking you through our Q2 results, a quarter which saw an acceleration of our digital platform growth, as well as further progress across key strategic priorities for 2023. And thanks to the decisive actions we've already taken in terms of fixed costs, we are confident we remain on track to be adjusted EBITDA profitable and free cash flow positive for full year 23. Before we dive into the details about our results and outlook, I think it's important to take a step back and look at the long-term opportunity for Farfetch. As the founder of Farfetch, I am proud to be celebrating our 15th anniversary in the coming weeks. Since our founding, our strategy has been to build Farfetch to become the global platform for luxury by developing a platform with unrivaled technology, logistics, and data capabilities. And in parallel, we built a global community of boutiques, brands, and customers across all major luxury markets in the world. This strategy remains our North Star, and thanks to our progress on all of these fronts, today we occupy a unique leadership position in global luxury with an extremely exciting future ahead. Underpinning this strategy, luxury has continued to demonstrate its resiliency and has become an integral part of culture, now more than ever before which I believe will pave the way to many more years of industry expansion. Still, the digitization of luxury is in its early innings, with digital sales just over 20% of the mix, 
but expected to expand to over 30% by 2030. This means Farfetch, as a leader at the intersection of technology and luxury, is poised for significant growth and profitability. This reinforces our confidence in our previously stated plans to scale to a $10 billion GMV business, generating approximately $400 million in adjusted EBITDA and strong free cash flow by 2025. In spite of the unprecedented macro challenges since 2022, the decisive actions we've taken in light of these factors make me as confident as ever in our prospects for achieving these targets. The events of 2022, which led to the stoppage of our business in Russia, then our third largest market, a slowdown in China and adverse effects, all amidst considerable macro volatility in the US and Europe, raised an imperative for decisive action. As a result, in 2022, we moved swiftly to implement a significant set of actions on costs and capital allocation, making profitability and cash generation a non-negotiable priority overgrowth after a 14-year stretch of rapid expansion. This is now set as our philosophy for cost and capital allocation moving forward. These decisive actions included not only reductions in headcount and other fixed costs, but also a complete redesign of our organization structure and a significant bolstering of our leadership team. And this June and July, we went even further. We doubled down and executed the most significant cost rationalization in our history as a company. Specifically, the actions taken in the past two months are expected to eliminate $150 million of planned 2023 fixed costs through the remainder of the year. This means G&A and technology expenses are now expected to be a combined $800 million for full year 2023 as compared to the previously guided $950 million. This delivers $50 million in savings versus 2022, despite incremental resources to support the launch of Reebok and new SES launches planned for 2023 and 2024. Just in this last round, we've removed approximately 800 roles, or over 11% of starting headcount in 2023. As a result of these reductions, as well as other cost cuts, costs related to some of our key teams, such as our marketplaces, technology, finance, legal, and people teams, will be back to 2020 spend levels, which means they have essentially rolled back three years of fixed cost expansion. And the cost of our operations, which provide end-to-end -end support of others, are only expected to be 25% above 2020 levels, whilst order volume is running 60% higher than three years ago. Finally, NGG and FPS costs were also rationalized. 
As these reductions are structural in nature, we expect even greater savings for full year 2024, which we believe increases our ability to achieve our stated 2025 profitability goals. This also means we have made a range of business decisions, including discontinuing beauty as a category on the marketplace and exploring strategic options for violet prey, further reduction in our real estate footprint, closing several offices and unprofitable retail locations worldwide, and concentrating NGG's resources on key brands among several other actions across the Farfetch Group. I want to emphasize a very important point here. Our North Star remains absolutely intact. Amidst executing this strategy of decisive action, we remain focused on delivering on all the strategic initiatives discussed in our capital markets day. Our 2023 SES launches remain on track, including the continued global rollout of Ferragamo, as well as Bergdorf Goodman, which is expected to launch in Q4. I am delighted to report that we launched three additional e-concessions as a service brands for Harrods, and that Harrods have also proactively initiated and signed an early renewal of their SPS contract, which extends our partnership into 2028. Additionally, our announced transaction with Richemont continues to advance through the regulatory review process. We continue to work closely with regulators to obtain the final outstanding approvals for the transaction, following approvals in the UK, China and Italy, among others. As a reminder, approval is not required in the US. I am confident the combination of our decisive actions in terms of focus on profitability and cash generation and our unwavering commitment for our long-term vision will result in more big wins across our key strategic initiatives while driving us towards achieving our stated 2025 profitability targets. Turning now to more recent trends. I'm pleased to report Farfetch continues to grow in Q2 with digital platform GMV up 7% and a stronger profitability profile. Total G&A and technology expense was 7% lower, and our focus on cash generation means free cash flow was positive for the quarter. I want to highlight that across most regions, our marketplace business is performing very strongly. In Q2, GMV in EMEA grew double digits, and in the Americas, excluding the US, it grew more than 20%. Overall, active customer growth was 7%, and order growth was 9%. Our margins remained stable, with digital platform order contribution margin of 31%, and brands and boutiques continue to double down on Farfetch with over 40% unit growth of supply. In the US, GMV accelerated with Q2 performance sequentially better, 
although still single-digit negative year-on-year, together with a 10% reduction in demand generation spend. However, as in the case of many others in the luxury industry, we have seen a less buoyant luxury customer in the US. We have seen similar macro dynamics in mainland China. Although we are seeing improvements with Q2 performance sequentially higher, GMV was also in single-digit decline. The reality is that the recovery has not been as robust as we had expected when we reported our Q1 results, and as a consequence, we have also reduced demand generation investment in this region. Like in the US, we believe this is not far-fetched specific, as other luxury brands have similarly indicated China is not growing as quickly as previously expected after its reopening in December. While brands are reporting strong in-store growth against comps during the previous year's strict lockdowns, online sales have not recovered as quickly as expected by many in the luxury industry. The slower recovery in these two large markets, offsetting the strong momentum we continue to expect in most other regions, leads us to moderate our second half 2023 growth expectations for the marketplace. Our group outlook for 2023 also factors in recent developments in NGG's business, which Stephanie will discuss. Overall, I am delighted to confirm Farfetch is growing, our key strategic initiatives remain on track, and thanks to the decisive actions we've already taken in terms of fixed costs, we are confident about our objective to be profitable at the adjusted EBITDA level and generate positive free cash flow for full year 2023. Turning to our executive team and the evolution of our organization, Tim Stone has joined Farfetch to assume the CFO role as Elliot Jordan and his more than eight-year tenure at the end of this month. We're delighted to welcome Tim to Farfetch. He has 20 years' experience at Amazon and was also CFO of Ford. Tim brings extensive knowledge of best-in-class customer-centric marketplaces and e-commerce platforms, along with experience in scaling SaaS businesses, proficiency in both 3P and 1P businesses, and has a deep understanding of digital as well as physical retail. He shares my vision of building Farfetch as a leading company at the intersection of tech and luxury, with a very strong profit and free cash flow generation profile for the long term. Tim is moving to London this month and will be a key member of the exact team taking Farfetch to its next level. And he has big shoes to fill. Elliot leaves us with the fondest of memories and will always be an important part of the Farfetch history. Having joined Farfetch as our first CFO and partnering with me to multiply our revenue by 16 times during his tenure, transition the company from private to public, and leading so many amazing teams and projects. 
we have significantly strengthened our organization and leadership over the last 12 months. Overall, these additions of exciting talent fill our ranks with an even wider skill set, hunger for success, and huge amounts of energy as we approach a new, very exciting chapter for the Firefetch Group. And now I'll turn over to Stephanie to update us on NGG. Thank you, Jose, and hello, everyone. Four years ago, we acquired NGG because we saw great potential behind combining its culturally relevant content creation platform with the Farfetch technology platform, and it has been a successful combination. Having recently added responsibilities of chair of NewGuard's group to my existing role as group president, I'd like to spend some time today updating you on the business. In particular, I'll focus on our Q2 performance, the recent organizational changes, and update you on the brand portfolio and our recently launched Reebok business. Starting with Q2 performance. In Q2, brand platform GMV decreased 41% to $63 million. This decline was driven by a phasing of deliveries from Q2 as wholesale accounts, predominantly department stores and retailers in the US and UK, reduced intake deliveries due to heightened inventory positions resulting from the challenging macroenvironment. The phasing of shipments was also due to some onboarding challenges with the launch of Reebok, which have resulted in a slower ramp-up. However, we expect a strong recovery of these deliveries to result in Q3 brand platform GMV of over $150 million. For the remainder of the year, we expect wholesale to remain under pressure, as we have seen retailers adjusting their open-to-buys for the spring-summer 24 season. This is reflected in our revised 2023 expectations for the brand platform, which Elliot will cover. It's important to note, however, that this dynamic is specific to wholesale. In NGG's digital direct-to-consumer channel, GMV grew double digits during Q2. Moving on to NGG's organization changes. Since taking this role, following the recent transition of the NGG founders, I have been spending time with the team in Milan reviewing the business strategy and operations and have begun implementing actions to streamline NGG and allocate resources to optimize profitability. First, we have cemented a strong and capable leadership who have been at NGG over the past few years. We also restructured NGG to function more efficiently as an operating platform to service existing and future brands within the portfolio. This, along with our plans to further integrate NGG with the Farfetch platform, has enabled us to reduce NGG's headcount to 2021 levels. Going forward, we will also focus our resources and efforts on the brands with the greatest scale and profitability profile. As a result of these actions, direct GNA for full year 2023 at NGG is expected to decrease double digits percentage as compared to our original expectations for the year and we expect some of these savings to carry into 2024 for a stronger profitability profile. Moving to Reebok. We are pleased to have launched this brand across direct-to-consumer and wholesale channels in May. While there have been some initial challenges in transitioning the business from Adidas, with the process fully complete, we are focused on the underlying opportunity to tap into NGG's brand-building talent and expertise to reinvigorate this heritage brand. We expect the initial transitional challenges 
to result in Reebok now delivering approximately $200 million across both the brand and digital platforms in 2023 and remain enthusiastic about the brand's prospects, which is supported by the strong consumer and partner engagement since launch. We're also excited to have launched in July the first iteration of Reebok's premium line. This line is the prologue of the full launch of products and collaborations expected next year. Overall, we continue to see significant strengths within NGG, a business that has contributed to the growth and profitability of Farfetch, delivering GMB growth at a 20% CAGR from 2018 to 2022, ahead of luxury industry growth of 7% over the same period. We believe that brands within the NGG portfolio will continue to be forces of culture in the industry and that our recent organizational changes, led by a very strong management team, will also allow NGG to operate more efficiently, drive profitable growth, and unlock further synergies with the overall Farfetch group. And now I'd like to pass the call on to Elliot, who will discuss the financial results and outlook. Thank you, Stephanie, and hello to you all. I'd like to summarise what we have achieved across Q2 and then break out our expectations for the rest of the year. There are several key points to highlight from within the quarter. First, the digital platform is delivering growth, with digital platform GMV up 7% and digital platform services revenue up 10%. In addition, digital platform order contribution margin remains strong at 31.2%, despite macroeconomic and promotional headwinds. The rationalisation of the business since 2022 has delivered significant savings in the cost base, which is lower year on year, and will continue to deliver financial benefit across H2. And we have achieved positive free cash flow, driven from a stronger working capital position. Overall, our use of cash has improved by $316 million versus Q2, and we finished the quarter with $454 million in cash and cash equivalent. Finally, the brand platform experienced delays in shipping wholesale orders, meaning approximately $50 million in revenue at a circa 50% gross margin has moved from Q2 to the second half of the year. This movement had an associated impact on adjusted EBITDA and inventory levels. Looking at the P&L in Q2, we achieved GMV of $1 billion, a 1% increase on a reported and constant currency basis. This growth was driven from the digital platform, which accelerated growth to 7%. Brand platform GMV declined 41% due to delayed wholesale shipments as retailers phased back deliveries of four winter 23 whilst they clear through their spring-summer 23 inventory holdings. This decline in GMV had an impact on revenue, which declined 1% year-on-year, and gross profit, which declined 9%. Demand generation expense has improved year-on-year by 6%, and total G&A and technology spend improved 7%, to be $14 million lower than last year, and $15 million lower than Q1. 
we achieved adjusted EBITDA of minus $31 million, which was $4 million better than Q1 due to the growth of the digital platform and sequential reduction in GNA and technology spend. The decrease in EBITDA versus last year was due to the delayed brand platform shipments, which we are now expecting to recognise in H2 revenue. Let's look more closely at the performance of the digital platform, which has seen strong momentum in Q2. As I said earlier, the digital platform GMV growth accelerated to 7%. This was driven by strong underlying growth from the marketplace and double-digit growth from Farfetch Platform Solutions, with the addition of GMV from Reebok and Ferragamo, which took effect across Q2. The digital platform grew slower than expected, driven by the US and China on the marketplace, and as GMV from Reebok ramped up less quickly than anticipated. The marketplace performed well, with a 7% increase in active consumers to 4.1 million, as we added over 550,000 new consumers in the quarter, and orders per customer increased slightly to deliver 9% order growth. This growth was partially offset by a 6% decline in average order value to $562, due to a higher markdown mix year-on-year. Digital platform services revenue increased ahead of GMV at 10% due to an increased mix of first-party revenue and the addition of Reebok direct-to-consumer sales on the digital platform. In addition, we saw an increase in third-party take rate by 60 basis points to 31.8%, which we believe reflects the value we are providing partners on the platform. Digital platform order contribution margin was 31.2%, down 50 basis points, principally due to a reduction in first-party gross margin due to action we are taking to reduce inventory levels, plus the increased mix of first-party revenue at a lower gross margin, offset by a significant reduction in demand generation expense to 18.1% of digital platform services revenue compared to 21.1% last Q2. We continue to improve new customer unit economics with lower customer acquisition costs year-on-year, and engagement costs on existing customers have also improved year-on-year. These savings are driving a higher LTV over CAC ratio, with three-month LTV over CAC improving year-on-year for each of the last three quarters. Looking ahead, we are adjusting our near-term expectations across H2 to reflect an updated assessment of the luxury market in the US and China. This means moderating our GMV growth expectations. However, our focus on operating the business off a lower cost base means we continue to expect to deliver profitability in 2023, with up to 1% adjusted EBITDA margin. GMV is now expected to be approximately $4.4 billion 
up from $4 billion in 2022. On the digital platform, we are now expecting digital platform GMV to be approximately $3.85 billion, up 10% year on year. This assumes continued strong growth across most markets, offset by ongoing mid-single-digit decline in the US and China for the rest of 2023. On the brand platform, we are now guiding to GMV of approximately $450 million, broadly flat year-on-year. This estimate reflects ongoing macro headwinds affecting wholesale orders of existing brands, offset by incremental GMV from the launch of Reebok this year. We continue to expect GMV growth to improve into Q3 and then Q4, supported by underlying growth in the marketplace and additional GMV as Reebok's direct-to-consumer channel strengthen and FPS starts to service Bergdorf Goodman in Q4. The guided GMV also reflects the expected catch-up in delayed brand platform shipments from Q2. On GNA and technology costs, we're now guiding to circa $800 million this year, which is a $150 million saving compared to the initial guidance, as we continue to drive cost savings across the business. This should result in costs $50 million lower than last year, which delivers a return to operating cost leverage. Revenue growth is expected at 8 to 10%. On margins, our forecast for digital platform order contribution margin remains higher year-on-year at 33 to 35%. This position is supported by anticipated improving gross margins and more efficiency in demand generation expense versus 2022. Inventory actions and a higher Reebok mix means gross margin on the brand platform is now expected at 46 to 48%. On cash, we expect to deliver positive free cash flow and have taken the opportunity to expand our existing term loan B facility with expected net proceeds of approximately $180 million, boosting our overall liquidity. We now expect to deliver cash and cash equivalents of over $800 million at year end. This position is driven from higher GMV growth and profitability compared to H1 and further improvements in our working capital position, particularly within Q4. It only leaves me to thank Jose, the board and everyone at Farfetch for all of the memorable moments and fantastic achievements we've shared over the last eight and a half years. It has been an honour to be part of a business which I believe is positioned at the centre of gravity of growth in the luxury industry over the longer term. I'm delighted to be passing the CFO baton to Tim, who has the experience and leadership skills to help guide the business through its next phase of profitable growth. I wish all my talented colleagues at Farfetch all the best. And with that, I'd like to pass the call back to Jose for his closing remarks. Thank you, Elliot. Over the past 15 years, we have built a leader at the intersection of luxury and technology. 
with incredible competitive advantages and huge opportunities for growth. Nonetheless, the current macro-environment requires decisive action. We have shifted our paradigm of cost and capital allocation to prioritize profit and cash generation as non-negotiables, whilst still maintaining our North Star intact. We've redesigned our organization and strengthened our leadership team. And in the last two months, have doubled down by further rationalizing our business, all whilst delivering against our key strategic initiatives, which makes me more confident than ever in achieving our previously stated 2025 goals of scaling to a $10 billion GMP business, generating approximately $400 million in adjusted EBITDA and strong free cash flow, and continuing to make progress in our mission to be the global platform for luxury. I want to extend a huge thank you to all Farfetches who built the amazing company we are today and who have embraced the need for decisive action and are working relentlessly to build an incredible future for this company. Thank you, and we will now open the call for questions. We'll now move on to our Q&A session. For those of you who are joining us via Zoom, if you'd like to ask a question at this time, please raise your hand by clicking on the raise hand button at the bottom of your Zoom window. If you have dialed in via phone, use star 9 to raise your hand and star 6 to mute and unmute. Once called upon, please unmute your audio to ask your question. Please be mindful that only one question per analyst will be allowed. Thank you. To start, we'll now take our first question. Our first question comes from Doug Anmond from J.P. Morgan. You may unmute and ask your question. Thanks for taking the question. Um, I just wanted to ask, is the $150 million in savings that we talked about, is that fully incremental, um, or is that including any of the previous um, cost reductions that you discussed? And then, just when you think about the declines in the U.S. and China, is there any things, is that really tied to macro and inventory Thank you. Hey, Doug, would you mind repeating your second question? It didn't come through. Sorry, I apologize. Uh, is there anything structural in the declines in the U.S. and China uh, or purely related to macro that's in the inventory issue? Thank you. Hi, Doug. This is Jose. Great, great to talk to you. Um, so in terms of um, the actions that we've taken, uh, we always said 2023 was our year of execution, and um, I'm glad that we are delivering against the strategic initiatives um, um, and the ones we haven't delivered yet are on track, uh, Dr. Goodman for um, Q4, um, Cartier.com, NetApport, etc., um, slated for 2024, regulatory approval pending, but uh, with good news from UK, China, Italy, and others. And to your question, um, as part of the, the execution focus, um, we have 
um, taken action in the last two months, which is a continuation of the decisive actions that we've taken um, starting 2022. Um, the 150 million uh, cut um, is versus our guidance. So we guided um, the market to 950 million uh, from 850 million in 2022 uh, to support the new um, initiatives and launches. Um, so I think what is very pleasing to see is that we are uh, absolutely delivering these new launches and, and on track uh, whilst being able to actually reduce uh, the planned HGN date to $800 million this year, uh, which is $50 million less than last year. So that's, um, that's the, the plan. And you can see already sequentially the, um, the HGN day line from Q4 into Q1 into Q2. Um, you can see already the results of the actions we've taken last year. Now the actions we've taken in June and July will continue to obviously be reflected. Um, so we're on track to that $800 million, $800 million which, um, which really demonstrates um, you know, a relentless focus on execution and efficiency. Um, and, um, and all in all, um, I think it's, it's important to take a step back, and I'll touch on U.S. and China. Um, which is your second part of the question, to take a step back. And uh, Farfetch is going to grow um, this year. The digital platform, our car business, is going to grow double digits, 10%, to be precise. Um, the, it's going to be a record year in terms of GMV at 4.4 billion GMV, the highest in our history as a business. A record year in terms of um, adjusted EBITDA, uh, an year of positive free cash flow, um, and therefore, whilst the macro headwinds in the U.S. and China um, are definitely um, uh, making us more prudent in terms of the outlook for the, the second half of the year, um, there is a lot of health in our car business and uh, an incredible advances in terms of delivering on our strategic initiatives. The U.S., um, I don't think this is far-fetch specific. You've, you've seen <coughs> the luxury industry um, many uh, luxury companies in double-digit negative in the U.S. Um, wholesale doing worse than uh, than direct to consumer, um, and that's what we we see also um, in our business. In fact, the good news is that the U.S. is accelerating sequentially, um, and we are in single-digit negative. It's still a negative, and therefore um, this is obviously. Um, uh, less buoyant than what we uh, would have hoped for. Um, and a very similar picture in China. I think it's well publicized. The, the Chinese economy um, didn't bounce back um, to the extent that everyone expected after, after the lockdowns. Um, In-star growth for luxury is strong, but of course it's not apples for apples because these stores were all closed last year. Um, what we hear in the industry and what we're seeing um, in our own platform um, is that the recovery is uh, not as, um, as explosive as everyone thought it would be. Uh, we had uh, some green shoots. Um, we were in positive growth quarter to date when we spoke to you last time, which was encouraging, uh, but we're now on single-digit negative. So um, uh, we, we believe that the right thing to do is therefore to be prudent and adjust our plans 
and also just our spending with reduced uh, demand generation spending, um, double digits in the U.S. We've reduced it in China as well, um, in in face of the macro environment, which which is um, uh, you know across the industry, it's not it's not fact specific. So China is improving, and with a sequential um, improvement, uh, we believe it will be in single digit negative. Uh, based on um, everything we're seeing and taking a balanced outlook for the rest of the year. Uh, Long-term, tremendous opportunity, obviously, uh, second largest luxury goods market, and we have an impressive uh, consumer proposition when we continue to see um, incredible potential in, in that business and in the partnerships we have in that country. Um, Short-term, there's uh, these um, movements that need to be navigated, but We've, as a business, I believe um, that we've taken the decisive actions um, uh, in face of the current macro environment. And again, we're going to be on double-digit growth for the car business uh, record here in terms of GMV, profitability, generating cash, um, and as far, whilst not as um, fast growth as we originally expected um, in face of the macro environment, it's still going to be a strong year for Farfetch. Our next question comes from Jason Helstein at Oppenheimer. Please unmute your audio and ask your question. Uh, thanks. So the guidance suggests significant second half share um, improvement um, versus your luxury peers relative to street numbers, um, even though you've lost share for now, like something like six or seven quarters. So um, I, I assume some of the catalysts is some of the inorganic stuff around brand platform, but I mean, can you unpack, you know, how much of the, you know, of that second half is brand platform versus we'll call like organic share gains and why investors should have the confidence that you can execute on those kind of share gains, you know, just just given recent performance and kind of the new guy down, et cetera. Thanks. Hey, is your office here? Hi. Um, I think we, we should take a step back and really look at the performance um, in terms of a, a, a slightly longer-term uh, perspective. Um, in, in terms of the brand platform, for example, um, the brand platform, NGG, um, as a business, we, we grew 20% uh, CAGR uh, between 2018 and 2022. Um, that's three times faster than the rest of the luxury industry, which we will um, at 7%. Uh, if we look at, at Firefetch, the digital, the car business, you have a very similar uh, picture. So this is a business that consistently um, over, you know, a three, four year period um, has gained uh, market share. Um, of course, uh, 2022 was a challenging year. We uh, stopped uh, business in Russia, which was 8% of our marketplace sales, our third largest market. And China uh, went into a negative territory, which was uh, a widespread, widespread phenomenon um, in the luxury industry. Um, and therefore, I think what, what, what we're seeing is um, uh, strength in terms of our car business. Outside the U.S. and China, uh, the car business is growing um, double digits. In the Americas, we grew 20%, excluding the U.S. In EMEA, we grew double digits um, with some markets in Southern Europe um, growing faster than 
Uh, overall, even including the US and China, we grew customer 7%, others 9%. Uh, we grew supply, which is the supply that brands and boutiques make available, curated luxury supply on our platform by 40%, far zero, year on year. Um, these are all um, absolutely demonstrative or um, very strong competitive advantages, uh, which will continue to drive um, market share capture over the next three years. And um, with the decisive actions we've taken in terms of the cost and the fixed cost base, um, in, a, in, a, in a much um, stronger profile in terms of profitability as well. Our next question comes from Ashley Helgens from Jefferies. You may unmute and ask your question. Hey, thanks for taking our question. Um, I just wanted to touch on the beauty business. There's been a couple headlines in the press lately that you guys are looking to wind it down. So just any comments there? Thanks. Um, yes, that, that was the decision. Um, we, in face of the current macro environment, and in fact, uh, we started this set of decisive actions in 2022. Um, you will remember in 2022, uh, we've, uh, we've done headcount reductions. Uh, we've also reorganized the business, redesigned our organization. Uh, we strengthened our leadership, leadership team with several new um, executive additions to the team. Um, and this year, uh, we are doubling down on that uh, new paradigm of prioritizing uh, profitability and prioritizing cash flow generation as a non-negotiable. Uh, beauty um, was a decision based on that um, new uh, approach. Uh, we have been incredibly successful at category expansion. I just want to remind everyone uh, who's listening to this call. We, we have... Um, the largest menswear luxury destination in the world. Uh, we are the largest kids um, luxury destination in the world, a category we started from, from zero just a few years ago. Um, we, are, we have a very um, healthy and profitable and fast-growing hard luxury uh, category. We've um, recently um, announced sales of uh, watches for $2.5 million dollars fine jewelry sets for $1 million. So we're really servicing the high jewelry category in, a, in an incredible way. Uh, we're adding to that with the Richemont partnership, uh, with Cartier, Van Cleef, and all the watch brands joining our marketplace, um, obviously, as soon as the deal completes and we do the, the necessary integrations. Um, so we have to make uh, strategic decisions here. And when we have categories which are paying off, um, and categories such as hard luxury with um, incredibly high AOVs and higher profitability uh, versus investing the same dollars in beauty, which has a lower, obviously a lower AOV and, and more challenging uh, profitability and unit economics. Um, it was a decision that we've made. It was, um, in my view, absolutely the right decision um, to discontinue the beauty category on the marketplace to focus on all the other categories which we, we have launched and where we're seeing a lot of um, success. Our next question comes from Stephen Ju at Credit Suisse. Please unmute and ask your question. Great, thank you. Um, so Jose, I guess more of a very big 
um, big picture question. So I think one of the bullet points in the release was highlighting your supply growth of 40% year over year. Um, but your active customers grew, I believe, 7%, and order growth was around a similar amount. So, you know, maybe these latter two metrics are a horrible proxy for demand growth, but this also at the same time makes us worry about what might be rising imbalance between supply and demand in your marketplace, uh, particularly as you've turned off demand gen spend in the U.S. So, can you talk about whether you feel like Farfetch is uh, still a materially better uh, channel uh, for brands as well as retailers to market the merchandise, or you know, is this demand something that we should be thinking about and worrying about uh, for the future? Thanks. Thank you. So it's a really good question, um, and and allows me to talk about the the strengths of of the Farfetch business model. Um, Farfetch is, is unique in the luxury industry. Um, when you, don't, you really don't see the luxury industry adopting other marketplaces such as Amazon or, or Etsy or eBay or, or other platforms, so this is an industry that uh, remains uh, unpenetrated by, by the giants um, in terms of the marketplace um, space. Um, and two, uh, the multi-brand online luxury destinations that compete for eyeballs with us, they're all retailers, um, or 80, 90% retailers with a, with a very small component of, uh, of e-concessions. Uh, we're, we're exactly the opposite. We're um, around 80, 85% um, 3P. Uh, so this unique marketplace dropshipping model, which is unique in this industry, this is what brands want, and, and brands have said it time and time again. They are divesting from wholesale, especially online wholesale, and uh, wanting to conduct sales direct to consumer in curated, elevated multi-brand platforms such as Firefetch. And this is what's driving the 40%. Um, and also, because of the dropshipping model, uh, we are connecting to the, to the inventory pipeline, if you want, um, of the brands, for example, with, with Caring, uh, we've launched a, a revolutionary um, uh, integration where we're now integrated with, uh, with the, the, the Caring distribution centers, which power brand.com, as well as other direct channels uh, in a fully, uh, fully automated way. We already have dozens of integrations with the Caring brands across the group in various ways. Um, this integration is driving part of that 40% growth, for example, but it's, it's really across um, our top brands. Uh, but this means that there is no incremental inventory risk. So we're tapping on inventory, which is part of the, the brand's ecosystem, if you want. Um, and this allows us to scale up very, very fast as the demand uh, ramps back up again. Um, so the fact that this supply is there uh, means that we have ample supply without taking any inventory risk or burdening our uh, brand partners with inventory risk. Uh, we're able as um, as a marketplace to adjust very quickly and, and boost our revenue and GMV uh, once the macro environment uh, becomes more favorable in, in some of our key geographies. Our next question is from Oliver Chen at Cowan. Please unmute and ask your question. Hi, thanks a lot. And uh, Elliot, it's been great working with you. 
Uh, regarding the brand, brand platform, what's ahead with inventory management and inventory relative to sales, and how should we think about merchandise margins and promotions there, you know, given uh, less than expected revenues there? And on the digital platform order contribution margins, um, what, how are you thinking about uh, demand generation and also the, the headwinds as we model that going forward? Thank you. Hey, Oliver. Uh, thanks very much. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure working with all, all the analysts as well. Just um, diving into your question. So on the brand platform, uh, there's a couple of things happening here. Obviously, the delayed shipments from Q2 going into the second half uh, has had an impact on revenue, a flow through down to profitability, and of course, on our inventory balance at the end of June, which is higher than it would have been had we shipped those orders. So once those orders clear through uh, um, across Q3, we uh, would expect that balance to come down. Plus also, as we ramp up our sales for Reebok, uh, the initial inventory that we bought in um, as part of the handover from the previous um, operators of Reebok, uh, we'll start to sell through that inventory and, and push through shipments of that inventory, bringing down the balance uh, also, that's on hand at the end of the end of June as, as that uh, position starts to uh, to build. On top of that, um, we are having to do a little bit of uh, additional provisioning and clearance, uh, and you can see that in the adjusted guidance with the gross margins for the brand platform having now uh, come down. Uh, we are expecting those uh, that position now to be. Uh, that sort of 46 to 48% gross margin uh, versus the 49% we delivered last year. So that is already factored in our forecast in terms of the profitability of the brand platform. The expectation is that that balance of inventory will be uh, significantly reduced as we trade into the end of the year, um, which obviously helps drive some of the working capital benefit that uh, you see in the forecast for the second half as well. So all, all sort of uh, points to much tighter inventory going into next year. Obviously, with the reduction in expected orders for the brand platform, we are also producing less and uh, getting factories to produce less as we uh, start to fulfill those orders going into next year. Uh, so that, again, helps bring our inventory position down by, by December. In terms of the digital platform, still very pleased with the overall uh, position on order contribution margins there, uh, just down 50 basis points year on year. And for the full year expectations, we are maintaining guidance there of 33 to 35% order contribution margin, which will be a step up from 32% last year. And that is down to savings within demand generation. We're becoming significantly more efficient within our demand generation engine. Uh, we have pulled back, of course, as you would expect, in the two markets that we're seeing um, broader macro challenges. So in the U.S. and China, we continue to retreat in terms of spend. Uh, that drives efficiency in our ability to deploy money elsewhere. And demand generation for Q2 just gone. You saw that number come down by $4 million on an absolute basis, uh, despite the fact that the GMV on the the digital platform was up 7%. And um, you know, for the rest of the year, we're expecting this sort of 7.5% of GMV level, which is what we achieved in Q2, to carry on. 
uh, which means a saving versus last year. Last year, the, the um, demand generation was at 7.8% of GMV. So we're driving this 10% growth for the full year with a lower level of demand generation spend as a percentage of GMV, which is, is coming through from the efficiencies. The offset here, of course, is the first-party gross margins. Uh, again, that's uh, under pressure year-on-year year in Q2 as we clear through some inventory. We're starting to see that improve towards the back end of the year, and that helps uh, drive up our overall order contribution margin. And then lastly, as the clients on Farfetch Platform Solutions ramp up, Ferragama already live, Bergdorf Goodman coming later this year. Of course, that product, the business-to-business -business product, runs at a higher gross margin and a higher order contribution margin on the digital platform, uh, driving that 33 to 35% overall for the full year. So very confident in those, those numbers. Thanks so much, Elliot. Our next question is from Ed Yerma at Piper Sandler. You may unmute and ask your question. Hey, thanks for taking the question. Uh, two for me first. I guess on, um, uh, on Off-White, kind of any comments on the performance of the brand, the health of the brand, now that we're a couple years past the untimely passing, and then just as a follow-up on, on YNAP, I know that there's a mechanism to reduce the dilution from the transaction. I guess given that the stock's at a very different point than when the transaction is announced, does that still hold? Is there a certain time the deal needs to be closed by to make sure that those, um, those mechanisms hold in place? Thanks. Yeah, um, I'll take both, both questions. Um, we, we don't break out performance on the brand by brand, um, but um, the Consumer demand around Off-White and Palm Angels remains um, very strong. Um, what we see is two different pictures in terms of wholesale uh, versus direct-to-consumer. Um, so wholesale always overshoots in both directions. So we saw very fast expansion of our wholesale business, um, as we said, 20% Kager uh, from 18 to 22 um, the brands are very popular in the U.S. and in the U.K., so we have uh, great customers in the American department stores and also boutiques um, uh, in the U.K. and Europe. Um, and with the macro headwinds uh, hitting U.S. department stores and the U.K., naturally these customers are reducing uh, their orders across the entire luxury spectrum. And, and you saw this uh, in multiple uh, commentary uh, from uh, practically all, all luxury players in terms of the the, the health of the uh, of the wholesale um, segment, uh, especially in the US, uh, but also in the UK. So, um, if you look at the direct consumer, the in aggregate, the NGG uh, direct to consumer digital sales are up double digits, um, and I think this um, this shows um, that there are two stories here. There's one story in terms of the consumer appetite for these brands, which remain strong. They continue to be um, in the list of our top brands. Um, and, uh, and also the new direction has been uh, evolving um, with uh, Yves Camara now firmly um, installed as creative director, activating his community. Uh, obviously, in Tom Angels, nothing changes. We have Francesco Ragazzi and, and Stefano who created the brand really from scratch to, to what is uh, one of the success stories in, in past years. So the portfolio is very strong. Um, Reebok, we're very excited with Reebok. 
Um, the, we did a small preview of Reebok luxury collections to some luxury boutiques um, this summer and was uh, extremely well received. This is a brand that hasn't done anything really in the premium space, so it's, it's Greenfield um, and uh, it's Greenfield's bar 2024 and beyond. Um, and uh, NGG with Cristiano having been over 20 years at Nike in their premium luxury Nike collaboration um, uh, uh, department and now over three years at NGG, he's the, the right guy to, to really, um, you know, make, make Reebok, uh, make sneaker history here. Um, and, and therefore, we, we remain very confident over the long-term plans for NGG and for the brand platform. And we're going to navigate the, this very short term, in the case of Reebok, um, one-off transition uh, issues from Adidas, and in the case of Off-White, Palm Angels, and other brands, really a, a wholesale headwind, which um, we, we were always, we always said that the future of the brands is more direct to consumer than wholesale. Uh, so while our focus is really on, on going direct consumer precisely because uh, wholesale always has these movements of overshooting in one direction and another. Um, so this, this um, continues to be the, the strategic direction for, uh, for the group. Uh, on YNAP, I can absolutely confirm the, the share price um, has, and the share count uh, has been fixed. Um, so we don't have any extra dilution. Um, and it's um, around 11% um, of, um, of, of dilution for Farfetch for 47.5% um, of share capital at YNAP. That's what's been, that's what's on the deal and that's what's going to be executed independently of what, where the share price is um, as soon as we get regulatory approval. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, you have other guardrails in this transaction in terms of the ability to, um, the option to acquire the remaining of, um, of the company over five years um, with uh, the requirement for the company to be profitable um, for full consolidation in terms of a put in year four and, and five. So those, those strong guardrails absolutely remain in place. We think this is a great partnership and uh, we're very excited with um, launching, replatforming not just uh, Net-A-Porter, but also Cartier.com, which are going to be the two first launches um, where the teams are uh, working around the clock, building these um, uh, great new platforms for these uh, flagship brands. Um, and after that, we'll continue with the rest of the Richemont and YNET portfolios, uh, which obviously this time next year um, means that Farfetch, the Farfetch platform will power the largest online destination in luxury, that's Farfetch, the second largest online destination in luxury, that's YNAP. One of the three largest luxury conglomerates in the world, that's um, Richemont, and two of the most iconic luxury department stores in the US and Europe, that's Harrods and Berghoff Goodman. So uh, this is an incredible roster of, of clients for uh, a best-in-class uh, luxury SaaS platform, and, and that's what we're excited to be delivering against. Thanks, everybody. Uh, that's time on the call, so we'll have to wrap up there. Uh, thanks for joining the call, and uh, it's a pleasure to hand over to Tim, uh, who will be with Jose uh, next time. So from, good, from me, it's uh, good evening, good afternoon, and good night.